Behold, a gateway to your own past, if you wish. With slight shades of difference, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You have, in a common cause, fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and joint efforts of common dangers, sufferings, and successes. History is strange. It's alien. And it won't give us what we would like to have. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service bringing you Hour 3 of a Tuesday morning on Bill Live, the 19th day of September 2023. Headline at BillMick.com, language, language, loyalty, and lewdness. It's been an interesting and fun conversation this morning. We have a couple of points to make before we get to Dave Does History. Dave Bowman, good morning. How are you, my friend? I am good, sir. How are you? I am well. Nice to have you along. I always appreciate these days. One day a week. I have some instant research available and, and, a, and a semi-producer to the show as Dave is generally with us for all three hours, but he and I talk during the break to the other two hours and then we bring him on in hour number three. We might just have to open these microphones up for the whole time, Dave, mm. and that we just, and we just do history in the last hour and do our typical stuff. Yeah, at some point you'd be demanding I pay you for that though. And I, I, I don't have a budget and you know that. Plus you know, uh, nonetheless, how, I, plus you know how I cuss. So. Well, that's true. And we have a dump button, but I'm pretty sure it wouldn't work on what you're, well, yeah, it would, but, but only on the on air part. So there we go. Um, as is the case when we solicit information from you, the callers to the program, there are times that it is probably unknowingly being inaccurately relayed. Such was the case with, uh, Tom's call from Coco in the last hour asserting that the loyalty oath has been declared unconstitutional. Dave, he gave a citation for it and got tased when he tried to repeat it. Um, and you looked up that citation and it has not been ruled unconstitutional. That's why these parties still have loyalty. Oath. It not only hasn't been ruled unconstitutional, the case was actually thrown out uh, because, and, and, you know, I don't know what Mr. Kelly's job was, but he's not a very smart lawyer. That's for sure. He uh, he was a Republican, didn't like the Republican loyalty oath, which, you know, again, is it unconstitutional? Probably. Is it stupid? Definitely. Yeah. But instead of filing his case about the Republican loyalty oath, he noticed that the Democrats had one, too. So he filed his his case accusing the Democrat loyalty oath of being unconstitutional. Well, the court said, but you're not a Democrat, so you have no standing. And dismiss the case, um, what they call de novo, which is from the beginning, you had no reason to file this case. So it was not declared unconstitutional. However, I hereby declare it stupid. Amen, and I'm with you. One other thing, speaking of loyalty, better yet, disloyalty, how stupid is it of the Brevard County Commission to try and suppress Republican voters in this predominantly Republican county? by doing away with the funding for sample ballots. I was uh, communicated with a listener friend of mine who ran into County Commissioner Rita, the church lady, Pritchett, yesterday. And she is angry at the blowback that she's getting over the vote to do away with sample ballots. And she is dug in and adamant that she will not change her vote. 
She's also the chair of the commission. So she will direct how the conversation goes when and if this comes up. And I would look for her to try to further suppress it in some reason. You folks in District 1 who like your sample ballots better start not liking your county commission representative and letting her know it. Now, she's also termed out when her term is done. So she may not give two hoots. This may be a personal thing. And she might think this is all coming from Satan. Anyway, reach out to the county commission today. They're meeting at 530 tonight. We'll uh, understand that it's going to be brought up for reconsideration because they reconsidered whacking all the arts money and they put money back into arts now. But when they're whacking money from the supervisor of elections budget to help Jonas Disgustus to buy a campaign from his position as a commissioner against a good sitting Republican supervisor of elections, your county commission, an alleged all Republican body, has turned against this Republican county. We're back in 60 seconds. Dave does history in this hour of Bill McLeod. Dave Bowman, let's get into what you're here for generally, which is Dave Does History. What are we talking today, buddy? You know, I was talking with my good buddy Rod yesterday. Yeah. Or day before yesterday. And we talked about the fact that half the time I'm doing this Dave Does History thing, I'm changing it as we go. So take, that, out, that. take that outline that you have in front of you and kind of don't Just pay it away. too much attention to it. We're not gonna, okay. We've spent an hour. I will hour. not look for salient points therein. I'll just let you bring them to me as they flow. Oh, they're there. But we've spent an hour talking about this loyalty oath nonsense. And someone last hour, and I don't remember who it was, made the comment about it being very 1984-ish, which was an interesting idea, except that it's it's worse than that, Bill. It's, ni- it's not 1984-ish. It's 1796-ish, if Ooh. you can go that far. By the time the country had reached the end of Washington's second term in September of 1796, he had had enough. But we don't like to think about George Washington that way. We like to think of George Washington as the father of our country, a man who was dignified, a man whose presidency was criticized by many for being almost imperial in the sense that he was very, very formal. He didn't shake hands. He bowed to people. He didn't, he didn't have, you know, just an open door policy or anything like that. Um, and we like to, I like to think of George Washington as the rough and tumble uh, colonel of the, the militia and later the general commanding the Continental Army, a man who James Madison often complained about because his language, going back to the first hour, was, quote, very rough, unquote. George Washington liked his whiskey and he liked to cuss. But he was also, you know, George Washington. But by Mm -hmm. the end of his second term, he was beat. The nation was going in a direction that he was concerned about. It was, things were really not the panacea that he thought that they should be and that they could be. And he was deeply concerned about a lot of things that we would recognize in politics today. The idea, the politics of personal destruction, to, to borrow a phrase, had become not just commonplace in the newspapers and the pamphlets of the day, but even in the speech of the day. 
had become very normal to criticize another politician. This would lead to things like duels where politicians would shoot at each other, which may not be a bad idea, but at the same time, it's a little, you know, undignified and and probably not appropriate. Kind of like, you know, going on a date to a, to a movie theater or something or a play. The, the bottom line is that he was deeply concerned about a lot of things that he was seeing happening, which was interesting because he had, he had been a very ardent federalist while we were developing the constitution. He had been very much a supporter of those things. And he kind of, I wouldn't say poo-pooed, but he downplayed the anti-federalist concerns. But now he finds himself looking at what the anti-federalists had had to say about how things were going to develop, and he, was, he wasn't quite ready to go anti-federalist yet, but he was starting to see that maybe the federalists put too much faith in humanity. Maybe the anti-federalists had a better understanding of human nature than the federalists' rainbow and unicorns ideology seemed to have and so as he announced, I seem to recall you lamenting the same thing yeah in, in many ways i mean i was asked once mm-hmm. upon a time dave if you'd been there would you have been a federalist or anti-federalist and and without hesitation i said federalist 15 years later after 15 years of constitution thursday i'm not so sure and one of my ancestors was a federalist in in pennsylvania who was quite adamant about it but i'm not so sure Washington's decision not to run for a third term sent not quite shockwaves through the country, but it sent waves of concern through the country because now what happens? The guy they would have made king if he would have allowed. If he had wanted to, he probably could have. There was discussion about it, but Washington wasn't going to allow that because Washington believed in liberty above all else. Right. I mean, he, he fought for it. He, he served for it. So he's looking around the nation. He's looking at the pressures that are going on from Britain and France. Britain and France have gotten in a war. And remember, we're allied with France. France is our good friend. Britain is fighting France, and France wants us to fight Britain, too. And he says, no, we do not get involved in foreign wars. We avoid foreign entanglements, is what he said. Mm -hmm. There are partisan battles in Congress starting to form. There are parties political parties starting to form and those political parties are demanding loyalty to their ideologies they don't have they don't have loyalty oaths yet but they're making it pretty clear that if you disagree with us you know you're satan and you must be destroyed to the point bill where again it was not unusual for politicians to challenge one another to do this and we'll pick it up in moments. Every day has a call of the day, and it could be you. Call Bill at 321-768-1240 and add your perspective to the conversation on Bill Mick Live. Gatto's Tire and Auto Service this hour sponsored. Yesterday's call of the day, public defender Blaze Tredis and his oh-so-wrong assumptions about the supervisor of elections office 
and the immediate correction call that followed from Randy in Indy Atlantic. You can pick it up in the podcast section at BillMick.com and on the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel, where you can find all three hours of the show every day on demand at your convenience, including our Tuesday 8 o'clock hour, which is Dave Does History. Dave Bowman joining us from Silverdale, Washington. Dave, we're setting up to talk about the George Washington farewell address at the end of his second term as president, and you're telling us that the tone in the country, oh, by the way, the liner that you heard coming in about uh, channeling your anger, today you need to do that at the county commission who's trying to suppress Republican votes in Brevard County. So talk, call, email, march around the county commission chambers till the walls fall down, whatever it takes. Um, let them know how unhappy you are because if they don't put that money back in, you ain't getting a sample ballot. And Blaze, you can't carry your sample ballot into the doggone polling place because it's a live ballot. You have to surrender it in order to be able to vote in the polling place. You're creating lines, County Commission, on Election Day where you don't have to do it, and you're going to run people home. Idiots, 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 all to help Jonas Disgustus get elected to a job that's going to pad his state pension. Sorry, Dave, I'm getting distracted. Anyway, Washington and the politics of personal destruction that we're seeing in play right here in the county. I heard a news report yesterday that said that Florida is in play for the, for the for the national election for the presidential election. And I thought that seems strange to me. I thought Republic, I thought Florida was pretty GOP state, but now I kind of see why. Uh-huh. So I'll just let it go because um, you can't trust the GOP or its members any. Wow, I have a mantra which is never never underestimate the GOP's ability to bleep things up. So yeah, Washington is. Uh, He's tired, Bill. I I don't think we comprehend how tired he was. He was tired of the fact that people were criticizing him. And he was starting to become concerned with this idea that the divisiveness in the country was so bad that if someone said to him, you should just become king, he was starting to, in his own mind, perhaps think about it instead of just rejecting it. He was actually starting to maybe think, well... Maybe it would be better. Maybe it would be. But then he would think about, you know, liberty and the ideas that he had fought for. But he was so frustrated by this whole thing that he sat down and wrote out this farewell address. Now, again, in those days, they didn't have television or radio, so everything had to be printed and or delivered. And Washington wrote this farewell address in which he's very self-deprecating. He's very like, look, I've done my best. My best may not have been good enough, but I always tried my best, and you should too, and here's what I have to say about things. And he began to talk about various things. Now, we are, if you're following along in the speech by some chance, we're not going to go in order, so don't get hyper about that. But things that he was deeply concerned about, the dangers of divisive partisanship. Hmm, sound familiar? Yeah, very much. He said this, quote, the unity of government, which constitutes you one people, is also now dear to you. It is justly so, for it is the main pillar in the edifice of your real independence, the support of your tranquility at home, your peace abroad, of your safety, of your prosperity, of that very liberty which you so highly prize. He believes that divisive partisanship is a threat to all of that. Now, as you look at the world today and our place in the world today, 
is our divisive partisanship? How has that affected our tranquility at home, our peace abroad, our safety, our our prosperity, and even that liberty which we so highly prize? I mean, you'd have to call it negatively. He was right. I mean, that's what you got to say. And of course, this was the same thing that the anti-federalists were saying. So there might be a little bit of uh, self-reflection there. He was concerned about uh, potential for domestic instability. You know, people around the country misbehaving. The alternate domination of one factor over, over another, sharpened by the spirit of revenge natural to party dissension, which in a different age and country has perpetrated the most horrid enormities, is itself a frightful despotism. Sorry. The idea here that these factions and their their willingness to fight each other and revenge at each other, tit-for-tat politics, we're going to impeach your guy because you impeached our guy, mm-hmm. is just tyranny. It's just despotism. It's just the government ruling over us. The very idea of power and the right of the people to establish government presupposes the duty of every individual, including the elected leaders, to actually obey the established government. And when leaders don't obey, you get chaos. Dave Bowman with us, but Dave does history. So Dave, is, as Washington is having this turmoil and, and, and disappointment in his country, What's going on next? He is he he continues in his speech. He's concerned about national unity. Now, this should sound familiar to us because we're all we've all heard the Teddy Roosevelt quote about hyphenated Americans. And I I would dare say probably somewhere between a third and a half of the audience today has probably posted that meme at some point on their social media about, you know, there are no hyphenated Americans and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But that thought actually came from Washington. The name American, which belongs to you in your national capacity, must always exalt the just pride of patriotism more than any appellation derived from local discriminations, which is George Washington's way of saying, stop saying I'm Irish American or Scottish American or what it's his way of saying you're an American, period. And then he delivers this. This particular line, which really resonates to me, I hope it does to everyone else as well. With slight shades of difference, you have the same religion, manners, habits, and political principles. You have a com- you have in a common cause fought and triumphed together. The independence and liberty you possess are the work of joint councils and of joint efforts of common da- dangers, sufferings, and successions. Successes, sorry. It Washington reminds us here that we have one constitution. We're millions of different people, and we all have different missions, and we all have different ideas, but we have one thing that unites us, which is that we are Americans. We have slight shades of difference, but those slight shades of difference don't disqualify us from being what we are. And I to me today it's as if we are trying to focus on the difference. We're trying to push the differences as opposed to subdue the differences into what we are. And mm-hmm. it's, it's totally the opposite of what Washington 
said, what he would have wanted, what he would have expected of us, which, of course, probably explains why we don't like to talk about Washington anymore today, because, you know, if we do, we might actually have to listen to him, and God knows we don't want to do that. Well, yeah, Lord knows we don't need a moral underpinning of what we're doing or anything or some kind of sense of this country is worth having as a united front against all things in the world, right? Right. Religion and morality are necessary conditions to the preservation of government, he also said. Let's get rid of them, is the attitude today. Isn't that the truth? Dave Bowman with us with Dave Does History. We'll uh, see where Washington's address takes us and maybe where we are today. When we continue in a moment on Bill McLaughlin. Weekly dive into history. Dave Bowman joins us on Bill Mickle Live. Gatto's Tire Auto Service bringing you the hour. We're talking Washington's farewell address and his, what honestly to me, Dave, sounds like fears for the country. You want in as we uh, wrap this show up today. It's 321-768-1240. And David appears that those fears are playing out in front of us here. Washington is driven by his understanding, his, his, his training, which, of course, is classical in its nature. He's very familiar, as I've talked about on my show quite extensively. All of the framers and founders are very familiar with Roman Republican history. Mm-hmm. And the one thing in Roman Republican history that, that keeps repeating itself is this idea of a guy by the name of Cincinnatus. And Cincinnatus lives on today in two ways in the United States of America. Cincinnati, Ohio is named after him. But there's also a group called the Cincinnati Society, which Washington was a de facto founder of. Cincinnatus was a farmer who was drafted by the Roman Senate to become dictator, which is different in Rome than it is in, in our concepts. He defeated the enemy. And then instead of establishing himself as the permanent ruler, He went back to his farm and continued to farm. And this was considered to be the highest ideal of Republican government. And and Washington is driven by this. He wants to go back to his farm. He wants to be Cincinnatus. He's already been called the American Fabius by the Anti-Federalists. He wants to be known as the American Cincinnatus. He wants to go home. He wants to go back to his farm. And he sees this as the highest ideals of liberty. He believes that you've got to restrain power, that if, if, if the government doesn't restrain itself, it doesn't restrain power, we will slide into a dictatorship. He believes that if the citizenry is not educated and engaged in upholding the nation's values, that we will slide into a tyranny. He wants us to be united. He hopes to bond uh, to bridge divides and, and mitigate the effects of this partisanship that he's, he's just annoyed by. And he wants to reinforce that idea of a collective national identity. We are Americans, not Republicans or Democrats or Whigs or, you know, Democrat, Federalists or whatever. 
He wants us to be Americans first and understand that that means that we prize our liberty above all else. Now, one of the things I've talked about extensively in the past is that there is a big difference between liberty and freedom. I know if you pick up a dictionary today, they're synonymous. I know in other languages that they are. But in 1796, those two words had two distinctly different meanings. We did not fight for our freedom against England. We fought for our liberty. And you see this over and over again in their writings. We are fighting for liberty. That's why we wear liberty caps and we have liberty poles. Symbols that we still have today, but we don't understand the meanings of. Mm -hmm. He wants us to understand those meanings and to continue to perpetuate those ideas. Because if we don't, the nation's democratic institutions might begin to fall. And those internal threats and those external threats that he warns us about not getting involved in entangling foreign alliances will begin to crack our walls. And if that happens, the last great hope of liberty in the world will be crushed. And we'll be back in 60 seconds on Bill McLaughlin. Next Tuesday on Dave Does History, the Bill of Rights, as intended, not necessarily as we understand it today. Always have fun looks at things with Dave Bowman at Dave, as Dave Does History here on Bill McLive. Dave, um, so Washington obviously has concerns, obviously wants to pass a message and wants this country to continue. He, what is, do you see? he is concerned about those things. And of course, this farewell address has been boiled down in our modern understanding of it to the idea of avoid entangling alliances. That's, if you asked anybody, what, what does Washington talk about? That's the one thing that everybody seems to know, but it's so much more than that. It's, he talks about these ideas of cultivating peace, but remembering that timely disbursements to prepare for war. In other words, we still have to spend money on our military because, but that military should be kept at home. He doesn't want us accumulating debt. He warns about debt. He warns about all of these kinds of things. But I think for me, the, the, the sentences, there's two sentences in this speech that I just, I think should be engraved on walls. He says this, Interwoven, as is the love of liberty, with every ligament of your hearts, no recommendation of mine is necessary to fortify or confirm the attachment, unquote. Now, the unfortunate reality of it is that in 1796, that may have been true. I think back to my great, great, great eight generations ago grandfather, who my great grandmother, his wife, couldn't remember their wedding dates. But she wrote in the book, I have the actual writing. We don't remember the actual date we got married, but it was shortly after we won our liberties. This was a concept that to Americans in that era was so important and so overwhelming that it didn't need explanation. The rest of the country got it. Absolutely. Today, do we have that understanding of liberty? No. We don't even know what it means. And so because we don't know what it means... Our Congress people can get up there and talk about freedom, and we all just nod our heads and wag our tongues and go, yeah, 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 that's great. When's the last time you actually heard a politician use the term liberty with any form of understanding? I can't don't know that I have. I certainly don't know that I have. 
not certainly not since probably Abraham Lincoln. There you go. The legacy of this address, of course, it influenced a lot of presidents into the two-term presidency, uh, with one exception. And eventually, his idea of that led to the 22nd Amendment. But his his warnings still resonate today. And I think that if we were to sit down and actually read the speech verbatim, we might find ourselves looking at our nation today and thinking to ourselves, (laughs) the anti-federals were right. And we need to get back on track. Makes sense to me. Let's get to the phones, Dave. You want in? It's three two one seven six eight twelve forty. Line one. You're on Bill Mick Live. Good morning. Hello there. Hey, this is Mario in Cape Canaveral. Hey, yes. listen. I had heard I heard you speaking and using the term liberty, and I, and I said this is the third time he's used this term liberty. And I said, why? I'm going to call the five. Why is he using this term liberty? And 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 just as I was calling, you were explaining why you were using the term liberty. So this is obviously something very profound because I always thought of liberty and freedom as the same word. But this, as you, you might be right on the edge of something profound, and I want to hear more about what liberty is. Mario, that's a great question. Dave, lay out the definition for the two terms as well, you put them out. We don't really have the time, but in very short form. While the terms are considered synonymous today, if you picked up a dictionary today and looked up the words, liberty would mean freedom, freedom would mean liberty. And in uh, foreign languages, the words are synonymous. In fact, English is pretty much the only language that has the two different words. In, 17, in, the, in the 18th century, in the 1770s, well into the, to the 1860s, the two words had distinct meanings. Freedom is... It's from the German Freihut. It generally means you have a, an, a freedom of action. You can go where you want to go. You can, you can do those things. But you do not have self-determination. Liberty implies, from the, from the, from the Latin libertas, it implies a, a self-determination. I decide what I will be. The best example of this I've ever come up with for me is the story of Joseph and Potiphar in the book of Genesis. When Joseph is working for Potiphar, he has freedom. He has Potiphar's money. He has Potiphar's you know, authority. He can go where he wants. He can do what he wants. But he cannot decide for himself what he will become. He does not have liberty. And this is what the colonials were fighting for, was liberty. Self-determination. The idea that we decide what we are going to be. Not you, King George. You don't get to tell us that. We have, to borrow a phrase, a manifest destiny. And that's the difference between the two terms. And that's why they they specifically speak of liberty over and over and over again. They don't talk about freedom. They have freedom. They want the self-determination of liberty. And we have lost that phrase today. And we don't understand the difference between the two. We don't understand what a liberty is. We use the terms, but we don't understand that it implies this self-determination. But you have to have the two together. You must have liberty and freedom together in order to have out of many one, to have that unity of purpose that Washington is talking about. You can't, if all you have is liberty, then every man does what's right in his own eyes. If all you have is freedom, then technically 
you're a slave. But if you Doing have what the you're two together, to do. right? Yeah. If you have the two together, you are an American. It's interesting. My dad used to talk to me about the term freedom. And he said, freedom means you're free to do what you ought to do. Not to do as you will, but to do what's right. I liked that spin on the phrase. It's a, it's a very subtle language thing, but it's important to understand. Because if, if you go back and read the writings of the patriots and the colonials, they don't talk about freedom. They talk about liberty. And, you know, liberty caps, liberty poles, it's on your money, folks, if you were to look at your money. But our mm-hmm. politicians, and this is what Washington was afraid of, education of the citizenry, because we don't understand that. We don't have that interwoven love of liberty anymore in every ligament of our hearts. And you wonder why things go wrong? Because we've allowed our politicians, we've allowed our government, we've allowed ourselves to subsume that love of liberty. And that's exactly what Washington was trying to tell us not to do. And we, we, unlike Washington was urging here, we are not the engaged citizenry that he said it took to keep the country. No, we're more interested in loyalty oaths and partisanship and politics of personal destruction than we are in that unity that we have with liberty and freedom. Yeah, very, very true. Dave, you're going to look at the Bill of Rights next week. Speaking of freedoms, liberty, something. Yeah, and it's... Uh, it's an intriguing thing. I always get bemused when people tell me that the most important ones are this number is this. It's not like that at all. And there were originally 12, not 10. So we're going to talk about that because Congress passed it. What Congress intended versus what we got next Tuesday on Dave Does History on Bill McLive. Our hour has been brought to you by Gatto's Tire and Auto Service. If you missed anything we've done all day or you want to catch us live next time around, the podcast section at BillMick.com and the Bill Mick Live iHeartRadio channel. Links for you on the show page today to Dave, uh, his regular podcast and to his uh, Dave Does History page. Both of those linked up for you at BillMick.com. Dave, thank you much. We'll talk before next Tuesday, but definitely then too. We'll see you then. Mm-hmm.